Dave, Hall. Ha! It's always a drag when you're in church just sitting there and some guy calls your name, huh? I was talking to your dad one day. This is about seven years ago. Dave Hall Sr. I think that's just a long line of Dave Halls. You're going to call your kid Dave Hall. It keeps things easy. Um, I was talking to Dave's dad one day, and I was just, I, I can't exactly remember what I was saying, but I think I was saying something to the effect of, I'm really busy, or life is kind of crazy right now, or I, I don't remember exactly what the context I was saying. But he said something back to me, which I have been thinking about for about the six or seven years since he said it to me. And I even repeated it back to him once. He said, wow, that's, that's pretty good. I don't remember saying that. That was pretty smart. And the phrase he said back to me was this. He said, well, you know, it's a postmodern world. You don't want to miss any of it. In other words, and I've been thinking about that. For, <laughs> it's funny. The things people say off the cuff that just land with you. And they just landed with me that we live in this, this society. We live in this culture, this postmodern society that has all these choices. All these things happening at once. We got so many things we could possibly do. We're maxed out. And I can just fill myself. I don't want to miss any of it. I want to watch all 300 cable channels at the same time. We don't have cable. And our, that's probably the reason because my Myers-Briggs, yeah, my Myers-Briggs is an ENFP. If you know what the, the prayer of an ENFP, it's really someone who has a hard time concentrating on anything. Uh, you probably can't tell that in my preaching much. Uh, but, <clears throat> which gives you a lot of you fear when I stand over here thinking, no, no, try it. Go back to your notes. Go over here. Look at your notes, please, once. Uh, but an ENF, the prayer of an ENFP is, oh, God, please help me to focus. And, oh, look at the bunny. So, um, <laughs> when, I, when I'm in a hotel, it's like, ah, da, 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 da. You know, I just want to, ah, me and the kids are, ah, crazy. So, there's so many things out there. One of the things that I tell my, uh, I do this all the time when I go to a restaurant, and uh, it's a very common thing for me. I'll get, the, get, the, um, get the, the menu, or I'll be standing at a counter where there's a big, you know, board up there with all the different choices. And there's my son. He always hates it when I say this to the, it drives him nuts, but, but, because uh, I say it all the time. But it's a new thing to the, the waiter or the waitress or the person behind the counter. They always just say, can I take your order? And then I always look at them and say, as I'm confused about all the different things, or like at a Chinese restaurant, you know, there's this scroll about this long of 2,000 different things you can order. It's like, I want fried rice. I don't know, you know. Uh, but I always say the same thing. I say, and David could quote this, and he, would, would, he just hates it when I say this. They all kind of go, Dad, Dad, don't do it. But I always do it. I would say, you know, you know what the problem in America is? <laughs> now, they got to understand, the question they just ask is, can I take your order? And, and I'm talking ph philosophy here. Do you know what the problem in America is? And they kind of put down their pad of paper and say, no. <laughs> but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. <laughs> and I would say, too many choices. Too many choices. I'm not... I want these choices. When I was in Thailand, you, you could go to the restaurants, and those of you who have been in Asian countries, it's great. You go to a restaurant, you, you walk down the street, and there's this place, and you, you go into this restaurant, it's a little hole in the wall. There's a, there's a thing about the size of a popcorn maker, okay? That's where they cook the food. I'm not kidding you. There's this popcorn maker thing with glass all around it. There's about three chairs, a place, a couple places to sit, and on right in the top shelf of the popcorn maker type oven thing, 
there's a plate, and on that plate is the sample of the food you get at this restaurant. One plate. You go to this restaurant, you get that food. Huh? Huh? Can I have an amen for that, huh? Uh, I, I, what is this? I want it your way thing, you know? Uh, we got all these different choices, and we're just, all these things before. There's so many voices coming at us, we have no idea which one to follow. And it's getting worse. I mean, it's just, it's getting a ton worse. When I was a kid, we had four channels. Four channels. I lived up in, on the range, and we barely got four channels. You know, ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS, and that was it. Four channels. You could go to school the next day and say, ooh, dude, did you see, I'm going to really date myself, Lassie last night? <laughs> or whatever the, uh, 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 what was the big one? Uh, we used to love to watch uh, Mr. T. Um, uh, A-Team, yes. All right. Would you see A-Team or did you see any? I know you guys all watch this Nick at Night stuff or whatever. Now you get this reruns that seem so cool. Or Brady Bunch or whatever it was cool. We could talk about this because there's a good probability that other people saw it. Now, you, you guys have 300 channels to choose from. They say the only common communication we have now about the television is the commercials. <laughs> because we're all watching the same commercials. But other than that, there's no common communication. There's just way too many voices coming at us. We're in a series right now. We have been for over a year. We will be for another period. <laughs> In the Gospel of John. So if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, open it up to John chapter 10. We are starting John chapter 10 today. We'll be there until we break for Christmas. So we'll finish up uh, John 10 and then, oh boy, we're going to, in January, we're going to get to John 11 and oh, it just keeps getting better and better. John is just a fabulous Gospel. I think we're just going to do it and then just start over again. It's been so much fun in the Gospel of John. We are, this week are in uh, John chapter 10. And I just want to remind you of the context here of John chapter 10. So if you got your Bible, just look back a little bit to John chapter 9. Or if you are got one of those little booklets, just look back a little bit into John chapter 9. And now the context is this. Jesus, in John chapter 9, heals a blind man. Man who was born blind, he heals him. He does it on the Sabbath, which was the, the religious don't do anything day of the Pharisees, of the religious rulers. He does it on that day to cause a stir. There, there, to me, after studying this thing, I'm pretty convinced that Jesus on purpose did this miracle a special way, not just by saying, you're all, you're all good to go. He says, he makes mud for him, he puts the mud on his eyes, and then he says, go and wash, and he does that to tick off the religious, religious rulers because they had rules about making mud and washing. So he was like trying to break their religious rules to see if they could see outside of their little theological box into who Jesus Christ really was. He does this. The guy is healed. He can see. Whoa, I can see. I've never seen before. I can see. All right? Then Jesus comes back, finds him later after he's been in trouble. And in John uh, 9.35, Jesus finds him. It says, Jesus heard they'd thrown him out of the synagogue. They'd thrown him out of his culture, so to speak. He couldn't hang out at the synagogue or, or what we not commonly call church. Now He couldn't go there anymore. He couldn't be with his people. And when he found him, he said, he looked at the blind man and said, do you believe, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? This man replies back, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus says back to him, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he 
I, I, I have this picture in my mind where he just falls on his face and he worships Christ. So that's one image there. You have this picture of the blind man who was probably an outcast of society. Jesus heals him and he gets it. And he's laying there at the feet of Jesus and he's transformed right there. Not only from his eyesight being able to see, but now his heart being able to see the reality that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. He, in fact, was the Messiah. He, in fact, was the Son of Man. Son of God. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And here's why I said that, verse 40. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus replies back and says, If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. In other words, I'm condemning you for what you've done with this man, this this poor lost soul here, this man who was born blind, if you remember from John chapter 9, they ostracize him, they kick him out because he gets healed by God. Hello, I got kicked out of the religious society because I was healed by God. What? And Jesus says, you claim that you can see, you claim that you get it. All right, guess what? I'm holding you accountable for what you just did. Now, those of you who are grammar geeks or grandpa greeps, Geeks, grandpa, grammar. Ah, yeah. There is no uh, quotation mark. Is that, is that what you call it? On the end here, right? No quotation mark there. It's not a typo. There's a new paragraph coming in John chapter 10. The reason for that is, anyone? He's just still talking. So John chapter 10, oftentimes people take John chapter 10. It's a beautiful chapter all in itself, but they take it out and realize, no, this is still there. The, the, the blind man is still there on his feet, or maybe he's gotten up by now or whatever, but he is worshiping. He's in awe of who Christ is. The Pharisees are there, and he's just said to them, you are guilty, and now he's going to go into this. And so don't lose the shift, because Jesus is going to major league shift gears. Here we go. John chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Now, we give the Pharisees a hard time. I know, we do. We really do. But honestly, if you were standing there, and Jesus just gets done, he's kind of in this blind thing. Are you blind? You claim you can see, so your guilt remains. I tell you the truth. Man who enters the sheep pen by the sheep. It's like, whoa, where are you going? Jesus is a master teacher. Master teacher. And he uses stories and analogies and pictures, word pictures, that help people to see things. And he shifts gears often very, very rapidly. Now, those guys who were standing there, the religious elite, they were not shepherd boys. I mean, maybe a few more were when they were younger, but this was not their occupation. That was a very lowly thing to do. But it was common. It was a common thing. And so... Uh, they would have understood it. We don't know a lot about shepherding here. Let me tell you a couple things about shepherding. Shepherding was a thing where the livelihood depended on keeping your sheep good because the wool is what you sold. You sold the wool and that you made clothing and other things from it. You could make an okay living, not going to get rich or anything, but you could do all right by being a shepherd of sheep, taking care of them. They also gave milk, obviously, and they gave uh, meat if necessary. But the biggest commodity they gave was wool. 
So if you were a shepherd, you wanted to take good care of your sheep because there's just a simple law of nature that dead sheep don't keep growing wool. All right? So you want to keep them living and keep them healthy so they produce good, good wool. Now, if you were doing that, you need to know something about being a shepherd, though. It's not kind of like being a, a rancher with cows because cows compared to sheep are Einstein. All right? Sheep are stupid. They are stupid. They are stupid, stupid. I mean, they're dumb. I don't know how to make this anymore. They are the, probably the most foolish animals. There have been stories of, of shepherds who know their sheep well enough to know that if a sheep crawls out into, to a dangerous place, like they, they, you know, they kind of wander onto the side of a cliff and they're found themselves, they can't go up, they can't go down, they're going to fall, the shepherd cannot go up. The shepherd, the one that they even trust, cannot go to rescue them because the sheep are so stupid they'll jump. They'll just jump. There's a story that happened this last July, July 7th uh, of 2005, where sheep just, you know, okay, sounds good. I saw one person, I saw one sheep do it. I might as well do it. It was in Turkey, and it was over a cliff, and one sheep, for whatever reason, decides, I'm going to jump off a cliff. So it jumps off this cliff. <laughs> 1,499 more of them followed. Killed, it killed 400 of them. I mean, you'd think some sheep would, you know, have the smarts at least to look over and go, hmm, they're not doing too well down there. I don't, I don't think I'm going to jump here. Start a new trend. But no, woo, woo, until the shepherds finally said, stop, stop, you know, and got there and stopped them. 400 of them died, perished. They're stupid. They're stupid, stupid animals. They also reek. They stink. They're dirty. They're, they're, they're not pleasant things to be around. Now, if you were a shepherd of a sheep, you'd have to love on these sheep because they're just they're like an infant. They just need to kind of take care of them. They are an easy prey for, for a coyote or a wolf or any kind of savage animal to come and take control of these sheep. So you are constantly protecting your sheep. And it was more than just a job. You had to look at it as like children, like infants. You're watching them all the time. A shepherd was in constant care of his sheep. You can look here, at, this is an example of, this is actually in uh, the British uh, military, set up a temporary sheep pen here. And just to kind of show you what a sheep pen looks like, this is the best I could find, short notice here was, uh, this is what basically how they would set up a sheep pen. In order to protect the sheep at night, all the shepherds in the area would, would come together and they would form a sheep pen. And if this was a temporary thing, if they were out, they'd find some place that was a cliff or whatever, or something they could back up against, then try to make some type of materials, whether it's wood or, or brush or something, to go around the outside so that the, they could put the sheep on the inside. Then they would have a gate, some type of gate, where you would go in and out. Oftentimes, and there would be only one way in and out, oftentimes uh, they, they would just have this big piece of brush there that the sheep weren't smart enough to get through. They wouldn't know to just push it. Or, we'll see this next week in particular, that the, oftentimes shepherds themselves would sit right there in the opening. And they themselves would be the, the gate, so to speak. And Jesus is even going to say that next week. He was, you sit there or even sleep there and the sheep just don't go through then. So that's what a sheep pen is. All the shepherds would put their sheep in there and they put them together there to be safe. So Jesus uses this, uh, he's using this analogy now and it's a huge analogy. Now, realize who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people who are Bible, Old Testament, that's all they had at that time, experts. These people knew the Bible inside and out. 
So when Jesus shifts this thing from blindness to sheep and, sh and, and shepherds, to us, we get the idea that he's just trying to make an analogy. To them, if you put yourself in that context, you would, he, they would instantly know that he was saying something more than that because of the Old Testament's use of this concept of sheep and shepherds. What the analogy was throughout the Old Testament in a variety of places was people are sheep and religious leaders are under shepherds and God is the ultimate shepherd. He's the owner of the flock. That's something you see throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 23, David speaks. You've probably heard this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Isaiah chapter 40 says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. When, when Jesus brings up this whole concept of sheep and shepherd, he is making, the, the, you know, we, we read John chapter 10 verses 1 to 6, but you've got to realize in context, what's happened just in John chapter 9 is this is a huge indictment on spiritual leadership. Are you a good spiritual leader or not? Now he has something I think to say about the sheep too. We'll get to that when we get closer to the end here. But, but um, the, the, the main indictment is upon the shepherds. The people who are put in spiritual leadership. It is a huge calling to be put in spiritual leadership. There are other passages in the Bible. Zechariah 11 to, uh, 13, 11 to 13, Psalm 80 verse 1. And Jeremiah 23. Those are passages, if, you ever, if you're here and you're aspiring someday to Christian leadership, at any form, any form whatsoever, Bible study leader, pastor, missionary, uh, whatever, doesn't matter, leadership team member here at the church, whatever. Those are passages you should read and really think about. They're awesome passages. And they're showing you the high calling, the, the heaviness of being a spiritual leader in someone else's life. Those are important. But the most important verse, or excuse me, the most important passage, I would argue, in the whole Bible is Ezekiel chapter 34. I think Ezekiel chapter 34 is something that if uh, I was told in seminary that every pastor should every year meditate upon Ezekiel 34. As an overseer team, we do it at least every other year. Hopefully every year we study Ezekiel 34. Because Ezekiel 34 is showing God's heart for his people, his sheep. And I just want to read a portion of this to you because it is so important to understand when Jesus brings up this metaphor, what he's getting to. Starting in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Son of man, prophesy against, man, whew, scary, the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds. Woe is another way of saying curse. Okay? So when, when you hear God say, woe, he's saying, you're under a curse. Cursed or woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. 
but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. Whew, what an indictment on them. You're just worried about yourself. You're worrying about yourself. You're not taking care of the sheep. So they were scattered. Uh, excuse me, verse 6. Uh, My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but care, cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 10, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds. Man, if there's anybody in the world you don't want against you, it's Almighty God, <laughs> right? And he... He views spiritual leadership or taking care of his flock as a very, very, very high goal. And it's something that I hope many of you are aspiring to. It's been a glorious thing, I hope, to watch people being raised up to leadership, be sent off all kinds of different places. We want that. You want that. But no, God takes it very seriously. I'm against them and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. By the way, just let me encourage you with this. If you want to pray something for Coronai, pastors of your church and other elders at your church, uh, Bart and Stan and Chris and Mike, if you want to pray something for us, pray that it would not be about us because that's what this is about. Pray that it would not be about us and that it would be about giving yourselves to others to help them. Because it's so easy to let this thing become about you. It's unbelievable. I, mean, it, 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 I think that's one of the biggest struggles that people who have quote-unquote success struggle with. I mean, it's no accident that that pastor out in, in Colorado Springs, church of 14,000, started in his basement, the leader of the National Social Evangelicals. It, it is no accident then he got himself involved in all kinds of immoral activity that are totally contrary to who he's supposed to be. And it is also no accident, ladies and gentlemen, that God removed him. Because he loves his people too much to let someone stand up there and be something totally double of what he's not. So if you want to pray for something for us, because there's always a tendency for us to want to be something we're not. Pray that, that, that we would be authentic and then we take this job seriously. And God, there's days when you just think, man, alive. I talk to guys who start churches and they're bummed because their first Sunday, they only have like 75 people or something. And I put the fear of God into them. I say, do you realize that before God, you're going to have to stand before God Almighty and give account for those 75 people? You really want 200 or 300 or whatever? It scares me that hope is growing. <laughs> Go away. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Holy smokes, think about that for a minute. 
It's, 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 God holds that very, very seriously. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, and this is the beautiful thing. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out, verse 13, from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel. In the ravines and in all the settlements in the land, I will tend them in good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lay down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in, in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lay down, lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I will find the blind guys who you're not reaching. I will heal them and I will bring them to me. And you have neglected them and you've thrown them out of the synagogue. Guess what, Pharisees? You're not it. You're not the real shepherds. I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you here. And later in John 10, he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. It's a direct claim to what's happening here in Ezekiel 34. I am the good shepherd. I am coming to rescue people out of the hands of terrible shepherds. So when Jesus says in John 10, flip, flip to the next one there, Andy. When Jesus says this, he says, I tell you the truth, a man, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other ways, he's a thief and a robber, uh, or, or that could be insurrectionist. Their guy's just to do damage. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Jesus is going to say, I'm the, I'm the guy that comes to the, to the gate, and I, the, you know, they let me in. William Barclay, in his, in his uh, book, The Gospel of John, says, A real shepherd was born to his task. He was sent out with the flock as soon as he was old enough, old enough to go. The sheep became his friends and his companions, and it, and it became second nature to think of them before he thought of himself. But the false shepherd came into the, into the job, not as a calling, but as a means of making money. He was in it simply and solely for the pay he could get. He might even be a man who had taken to the hills because the town was too hot to, to hold him. He had no sense of the height and the responsibility of the task. He was, he was only a hireling. Shepherding is a huge calling. Huge calling. Look at Jesus goes on. He says, talks about that person who's at the gate, the watchman. It says in verse 3, the watchman opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Isn't that cool? I don't know what you name sheep, but come here, Harry. Uh, come here, Fluffy, or whatever names you give these things. And they follow him. Why? When he's brought all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow them why? Because they know his voice. They know the real shepherd's voice. And it gives comfort and peace because they know the real shepherd. They, there's a multitude of voices they could listen to, but they listen to one and they know it. He's even up ahead and he's just talking whatever shepherds say to sheep and they just follow him. He doesn't have to look back. He doesn't have to drive them. He doesn't have to have a, a, a stick and beat them. They're following him because they know and trust their shepherd and love their shepherd. 
When I was a kid, there's a family story that I, it's actually, I remember more the family story being told than I do the event. It's one of those things that's become bigger than the story. But anyway, there's a story that my dad loves to tell about when I was about four or five. I was in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, with my family and we were uh, visiting. My dad was doing some business there and we were in like a supermarket or some Woolworth or something like that. And I had gotten my eyes caught on some toy or something and I was looking and the aisles were, you know, this way, and I was looking at one aisle thing on the aisle and had my back to the other aisle, and my folks were in behind me, right behind me, right here, looking at something on the other way. And my dad was kind of watching this and seeing, because I was four or five, and kind of, you know how you are with four or five, you kind of let them go a little bit and see what they do, but you're watching every step. I had no idea who was watching me. I just was enjoying this toy or whatever I was looking at. All of a sudden, it hit me that I'm in a store and I'm looking at a toy, and I look to my left, and I look to my right, and I see no daddy. And all of a sudden, just my dad saw this happening, and he, he didn't know what was going to happen, but he decided just to let it run its course. And as a little four-year-old, I just went, ah! I just screamed. <laughs> I was freaked completely out. I mean, I, you know, whoa, where is dad? And it was just, my dad was right behind me. He's watching this whole thing. And all he said to me was a name that he called me from my birth up until my sophomore year of college. Um, <laughs> he said, Stevie. Uh, Stevie, yeah. Uh, uh, it's all right, I'm right here. I'm right here. And that's all it took. <sighs> Calm. I hear daddy's voice. It's good. Uh, if you call me Stevie, you're a dead person. But. Um, <clears throat> I had to tell that to my dad. Sophomore year of college, I said, Dad, ixnay on the Evie stay thing. Uh, trying to impress the girls I hear, you know, and your Stevie ain't working. Heard the voice and it give comfort. Jesus says, I come in, I talk to my sheep, I take them out of the pen. The watchman recognizes me. I'm a legitimate shepherd of these sheep. I come in, I take them. And I'm going to walk out and I'm going to turn my back to them and they're going to follow me because I'm talking to them. They know my voice. They follow me. Unlike you Pharisees, look, look at the next verse, verse 5. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. I mean, this so follows into the context of, of, of uh what just happened with the blind man? The blind man said, you can go right ahead and kick me out of the synagogue. It doesn't matter. I don't need the synagogue. I've met the real Christ. I will follow him. He is the real shepherd. I hear his voice and I will follow him. I don't even know who you guys are. You claim to be the religious rulers on the planet right now, but you're not. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they're going to run away from them. Let me give you a little bit of word for the wise here. If you're ever in a situation where you're hearing kind of strange things about the Bible and, um, you know, just strange teachings and the heebie-jeebie buttons go off within you, kind of like, <laughs> that, that could very well be that this is a person who's not a good shepherd to follow. It could just be like, now they might just be weird and then that's okay too. I mean, they, that might be just that you get that from them. But it could be that there really is, that they're not. A right one. They're not just bad shepherds. They're not just blind, Jesus says. You're not just blind people. You're actually blind leading the blind. You, you, try to, you, you can't get in through the, the normal gate. 
because the watchman won't let you. So you climb over the top, the side. He's basically saying, this is such an indictment. He's saying the entire religious establishment that doesn't acknowledge me is illegitimate. Well, they don't get it. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Man, no surprise there. They're like, huh? Now, let me close by asking a couple questions. First of all, we talked about, there's really a couple things going on here in this in this. This analogy, this figure of speech that Jesus uses. First one is shepherding. The whole concept of spiritual leadership. There's good spiritual leadership and there's really bad spiritual leadership. And the distinguishing factor, I think, is are you or are you not an English setter? Are you, you know, you, the English setter goes out into the woods. If he's a good hunting dog and he finds the, the pheasant or whatever and he, you know, he points at the, the, the pheasant and, and the pheasant, and he doesn't move. So if you're a good hunter, and you've got an English setter with you, you watch the dog until the dog points. And at that moment, you raise your gun, and you do not point it at the English setter. <laughs> you point it where the dog is pointing, and then, then you might make a noise or something to, to cause it to go up. You do not shoot the dog. All right? It is not about the dog. The dog knows at that moment he is not important. Spiritual leaders need to know that the most important thing they can do is point to the king and get out of the way as much as possible. That's huge. When it becomes about you, that's just sitting here right beforehand, just praying this thing. It's so hard to preach and not have it be about you. And so, ah, uh, it's not. It's about that you see Jesus. And if you don't see Jesus and you just see me, then I got a problem or you got a problem or we got a problem. Don't do that. See Christ. So if you're aspiring to spiritual leadership, if you're aspiring to spiritual leadership, man, be an English setter. Be someone that points to the king and get out of the way and just realize how beautiful the pheasant is, or, you know, to follow the analogy. You want to point to that. You don't want people being in awe of you. Look at those passages we talked about. Jeremiah 23, Zechariah 11 through 13, Ezekiel 34. Meditate on them and want to let, you know, and it's God's flock. You're just an under-shepherd. He is the, the owner of it. Second thing is, is, is the analogy in, in John chapter 10 is that we are the sheep. Okay, that, that we are the sheep. And that the shepherd comes in and we hear his voice and we follow him. I started this talk by talking about all the voices out there. There are tons of voices out there. Tons of things to listen to. And the question is, is what are you listening to? What is it that is grabbing your heart? Are you guarding it? There are things that you can watch or listen to that go beyond just watching. They actually affect your heart in such a way that you get confused as to what your, who your shepherd is. Let me give you an example. Just make it real simple. God's view of sexuality. Do you get your, what God's view of sexuality from God's word and how awesome sex is? Because it is an awesome thing. Or do you get it from friends and what their view of sexuality is? Or any of the sitcoms? Now, I'm not saying don't watch those shows. Not necessarily, but I'm saying, are you watching it with such a discriminating ear that you can say, I'm not hearing your view. Your view of sexuality is warped 
God's view of sexuality I'm letting in. And you can do that in a variety of areas. Finances, career, marriage, children, whatever. It doesn't matter. Are you hearing the shepherd's voice on these things? Or are you letting these other voices, these other shepherds who are trying to break into the pen, grab your attention? Franklin Delano Roosevelt um, used to hate these things where he would be in receiving lines and people would zip through. And as an experiment one time, when people would zip through just to see if people were listening at all to what he's saying, to every single person that went through, these, these highfalutin ambassadors and people from all the world, he looked at them and smiled and said, I, I, I murdered my grandmother this morning. To every single one of them. And they all said, oh, that's great. I'm, I'm glad to hear things are going well. We're encouraged with your leadership. Keep going, Mr. President. They went right on down until it came to the last guy who was uh, the ambassador to, Boliv- ambassador to Bolivia or the... Uh, um, uh, let me see, it was the ambassador from Bolivia, and, and, and he's the only one who heard him. He's the only one who heard him say, I murdered my grandmother this morning. <laughs> of course, his answer was, she probably had it coming. Uh, <laughs> do, are we listening? Are we listening to the shepherd of our souls? Are you listening to Jesus Christ? He speaks today. Are you opening the door of your heart to listen to what he wants to say to you? Are you filling yourself with his word? Man, this is one of the ways, great ways he speaks to you. Are you opening the door of your heart to hear your shepherd speak to you? Let's pray together. Lord, we do just come before you as people who need you as our shepherd. Especially those of us who are in some form of leadership. Oh, we need a shepherd. We need you to, to speak to us and through us. God, would it never be, this church, it's only 10 years old, God, if we live to be 110 or 1,010 years old, I don't, I don't know, would it never be about the leadership of this church? Would it never be about the pastoral staff or the worship pastor or the youth person or the children's ministry or small group leaders or whatever? God, that we're just your humble servants. We just want to be English setters. God, I pray for people in this room. Many of them will rise up to spiritual leadership. We'll be involved in leading other people to Christ and following them up and helping them grow and being Bible study leaders and missionaries and pastors and all kinds of different things. Many of them will. God, right now, would you use this time, this warning from John chapter 10 to be something that sits with us and lands with us. Lord, all of us are sheep. So I pray, God, that we would be very, very tuned in to our shepherd's voice, that we would listen carefully to our shepherd. Jesus, that you would speak clearly to us and those other voices that are out there, we would distinguish that, ah, something's not right here. We would hear you and your voice alone. Do that even as we sing this last song. We pray in Christ's name, amen.